Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. We are two days away from the Super Bowl bump. Are you feeling the excitement yet? Are you ordering the snacks? Getting ready? Setting up the TV station? Nah. I'm not ordering snacks. I'm showing up with a snack. Oh, you guys are going to a Super Bowl party? Nah, probably not. Honestly, I'm just going to watch the game with my boys on my sofa. (laughs) We'll just kick it. Just kicking it? Yeah. Nah, nothing too crazy. I think the the crazy Super Bowl party days for me are probably over because my kids love watching the game. So Mm. I'm going to watch it with them. So you can't like party. This is why the Super Bowl needs to be on a Saturday. I've been saying that for a long time. Like, give At the people a, a day to recover. It's it's an unofficial national holiday. Yes. Build a set. Half the country watches the game. Like, give us a day to recover. You please. are either watching this game or you're watching a Rihanna concert at the game. More than half you the country, You only have two viewing options on <laughs> two Sunday. Two viewing options on Sunday. That's it. And then we all have to come into work on Monday. I hate it, but I am very, very excited for the game to finally get here. We have... Uh, a lot of previews for this game throughout the show, mixing it up with some Seahawks angles, um, some fun prop bet angles. So we will get you guys ready for this game. Going to have a lot of fun on a Friday. You're also going to hear from one former Seahawk, one current Seahawk. Robert Turbin joins us at 11 for a preview of the Super Bowl. Um, we'll talk about some Seahawks stuff with him as well. And then Laquan Treadwell is going to join us at noon, Seahawks wide receiver. And we're going to talk to him just about some fun stuff. Life of an NFL player, his pick for the Super Bowl, all kinds of good stuff. Before we get to it, Curtis, I've always kind of joked about your shtick with East Coast bias. A shtick? Well, (laughs) not a shtick. Your commitment to your hate of the East Coast and East Coast bias. And then... Bump, we got to NFL honors mm-hmm. where the Jets swept offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Now, neither of us are especially surprised that Garrett Wilson won offensive rookie of the year, nor that Sauce Gardner won defensive rookie of the year. I mean, Gardner had like pro football Focus's best coverage grade in years, right? Like he had an amazing season. It was mm-hmm. almost a unanimous decision. Um, still some weird stuff. Tariq Wollen got one vote. Is that disrespectful to you? pardon? Yeah, yeah one vote. It's completely disrespectful. How are you tied for the lead when it comes to interceptions with the guy who's playing in the Super Bowl this weekend? And you get one vote. That just lets me know that it. this is what happens typically. You fall in love with a story. The mass media takes over that story. You hear one or two people talk about how great this guy is, and then you have your mind set for weeks. Instead of going back, looking at the full season, watching what this rookie corner has done, who hasn't played a lot of cornerback, six interceptions, one to the house. He did some things that Sauce Gardner didn't do. And um, it's disrespectful. Now, I'm not surprised that Sauce won no, because he is a more technical corner. But the disrespect won First place vote? Not even just one first place vote. Aiden Hutchinson had more votes than Sauce Gardner, which again, Aiden Hutchinson had a phenomenal year. He was a huge part of that Detroit defense and kind of like a do everything guy, right? Like I think he had a couple interceptions, passes defended in addition to obviously tackles and sacks. Um, But also I'm pretty sure Tariq Woolen had fewer second and third place votes (laughs) than you'd expect to. Like he didn't. He didn't really register with a lot of the voters at all. He had he had one first, a couple second, a couple third place votes, but this wasn't like a runner up situation. This was him as a very distant third from both Aiden Hutchinson and Sauce Gardner. So what do you do, Tariq? What you gonna do, T Woo? 
Use it as motivation. Come back stronger next year. Get with uh, a dude in the offseason who's super technical and can teach you the game because physically he has everything it takes to be one of the best corners in this league. He clearly is one of the best corners in this league. He made it to the Pro Bowl. So just build off of that. Use the disrespect. That's what you got to do. Use it as motivation. Let's get it. Meanwhile, with Offensive Rookie of the Year, Curtis, did you have something you wanted well, to say? Well, I mean, you look at the breakdown of where these voters are. Shout out to at wrong opinion, man, which is a great Twitter handle. Uh, he tweeted out a map of the United States and put a dot where each of the AP voters are located. Oh, there is n- there is one voter located west of Detroit. Detroit is an eastern time zone <laughs> wow. city. OK, the only voter that is west of Detroit is is based here in Seattle, which I think could explain why Tariq Woolen got the one vote. So if that one voter here in Seattle, who I, I think, is it Mike Sando who votes on this out here in, in Seattle? So you think it Mike Sando like, might have voted for Tariq Woolen? I think so. But the fact that 49 of the other 50 votes did not, he, he didn't get more than one? If Sauce, Are you kidding me? If Sauce Gardner wasn't clearly a great player, I would far more lean into this, but I will say that I am still convinced that Tariq Woolen may not have won, but would have gotten more than one vote if the roles were switched and he was the fourth overall pick to the New York Jets. Tell me I'm wrong. But you know what? It should be more impressive that Tariq Woolen did this as a fifth round pick, not the number four, but you expect... Who had to earn the job. You you expect Sauce Gardner to come in and hold down one side of the field and lock it down and be your future Darrell Revis, who we'll talk about later. You didn't expect T. Woo to come out here, win the job, hold it down, six interceptions, one to the house, a blocked field goal, fumble recoveries. You didn't expect that out the guy. He was supposed to be a project guy that played on special teams, worked his way up, maybe get a few snaps later on in the season because this team Team is supposed to be horrible. Yeah. No, nah, he was one of the pillars of why this team was pretty good this Two, year. Two five three was that due to the fact that Woolen was a later round draft choice. Uh, I'm assuming they're asking about like, hey, maybe the snub a little bit. I think it's playing for the Seattle Seahawks. I do think it's having less of a national profile. I also think he was um, he had fewer targets and more completions allowed, but was still really good. So, hey, what are you gonna do? <laughs> What are you going to do? Is what it is. Um, Okay, so let's get to Offensive Rookie of the Year. I can't wait to keep this going because if you guys think you're annoyed now, wait until you hear this. Uh, Garrett Wilson wins Offensive Rookie of the Year over Brock Purdy, deservedly so, and also over Ken Walker. This is despite the fact that Ken Walker got more first place votes. So this yeah. is due to the new voting system. Explain where, this. Okay, so you get a first place, a second place, a third place vote, and you get points for all of those. So basically... Ken Walker had, I think, 19 first-place votes to 18 for Garrett Wilson, but Garrett Wilson had more second- and third-place votes than did Ken Walker, like more votes overall, and so that went into his tally. So there were other rookies that were taking away votes from what might have gone to Ken Walker. Okay, this is the first time we're using the system this year, correct? I think this is the first time we've done this. Go back to the old system. Go back. Pick one guy. Who are you voting for? Pick one guy. No first place, second place, third place votes. When you're voting for anything, do you say, all right, this is who I won in first. This is who I won in second. This is who I won in third. No, you vote for the person that you want, that captivated you, that that uh, that got you to buy into their message. I don't like this new system. But if Kim Walker would have won it, then I probably wouldn't be mad. Well, and the fact that Walker lost even after receiving the most first place votes, that means he probably didn't even appear on some ballots. 
which is crazy to think because it's a total <clears throat> point. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, yes, the fact that Garrett Wilson was able that to tabulate more people. second, third, fourth, and fifth yes. place votes than Ken Walker received. That means there were people that didn't even put Ken Walker on their ballot, even though the majority of voters put him as their number one pick. Can I also say, I want to know exactly where the ballots and where the voting comes from, because I would be willing to bet, like, I would want to see the ballots from, like, who are the, who are the voters if they're in San Francisco voting for? Like, who are the AP voters that might cover the 49ers? Are they voting for Purdy because they have insight into his really cool season? You know what I mean? Like, you cannot tell me there is not bias with people voting for these when some of these people are not national writers, they're people covering specific teams. Which, like, yeah, they're professionals, they're knowledgeable, but, like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm biased. I'm willing to admit my bias toward Geno Smith, toward Ken Walker in this case, right? But, like, yeah. it, just admit it. Just admit there's plenty of bias that goes into these awards. They won't admit it. They don't have to. Everyone knows that. Human beings, we're biased individuals, and uh, we, we saw that. But you know what? End of the day. It didn't work out the way that we wanted it in those situations, but you still get recognition and you still know that that backfield looks good for the Seahawks if they continue to stay healthy. That corner spot looks good for the Seahawks if he continues to develop. So there's a silver lining in everything, but this is what we're used to. This is the Northwest, man. It happens here. You're always overlooked and underrated. So it is what it is. Uh, someone said, did you not listen to the first part of your segment? Stacy? only when West Coast vote. Isn't that, don't they divvy it up for different players though? Like different AP people vote on different things. Uh, maybe I, I have no idea how yeah. it like fully that was breaks my down. That's how they. I think they might baseball. just vote. All Everybody gets. Then that's votes even more ridiculous. The, yeah, the then that's even more ridiculous. All right. Well, I'm moving on. Uh, one Seahawk did win. Geno Smith. And the 2022 AP Comeback Player of the Year is Geno Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Geno Smith was unfortunately right <laughs> not there to accept his award. Um, Joel McHale did it on his behalf. But congratulations to Geno Smith, comeback player of the year. Plenty of people already making the joke. Not quite sure what he came back from. I don't know, being benched, falling from grace. Either way, congrats to Geno. Big ups, Geno, man. You deserve this. You earned this. And you came back from the NFL telling you you were not good enough to be a starter in this league. And I think people don't understand the mental toughness it takes to sit on the bench for seven, eight years, to hear the criticism about you that you're not good enough, he's just a backup, you, you listen to 710, you hear us saying he shouldn't be the guy, why is Drew Locke even there, Drew should get a shot as well, bring in Baker Mayfield, where's Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you go out and you perform with confidence, with precision, and you make it look like you are a franchise quarterback. Now, it's unfortunate he's 32 years old, but better late than never, man. Geno Smith defied all the odds. That's what he came back from, from all the hate. Um, Can I issue a little hate myself? Sure. I don't want to be rude, but uh, one part of the award show I did not love. It was supposed to be funny. It wasn't supposed to be serious. I just kind of got over it quickly. Uh, Was the players singing songs to Kelly Clarkson songs, like edited ones for their teams. I just... I think the bit got old pretty quickly for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't watch. You thought it was fire. I didn't watch it near nada. 
<laughs> of this um of this award. The award shows just don't move me. You know what Fair. I do? I look at all right, who won? Yeah. And then I look at clips and say, all right, let me hear his speech or his award or this moment. And that did not interest me, so I did not click on it's that. It's t- totally fair. You don't need to watch a lot of the award show because they blow through award winners. Like, you know, when you go, you watch the Oscars or you watch the Golden Globes or whatever, and it takes, it feels like it takes 20 minutes between each award. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I get it. Then we have this performance. Then we have this speech. Then we have this going on. They're just, you know, next up, now we do combat player. And you're like, that guy hasn't even walked off the stage. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> Um, there was one final moment I wanted to touch on before we moved on. That was Damar Hamlin's acceptance speech in which members of the medical team that saved his life joined him on stage. Every day I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love, and encourage to keep fighting no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be a part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. That was from the NFL, honoring and celebrating the group that saved his life, the, the entire medical staff. And then he was on stage, obviously, uh, being honored as well by the NFL. That was a clip that I watched for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Watching yeah, him up emotional. there. It's you know what? It was um, it was moving just to see him standing there talking, right? Eyes wide open, aware, alert, because that's the image that we see right now. But a month or so ago, the image we saw was scary as heck, man. I couldn't imagine one of my kids being in that position. So to see him on stage, um, just alive and well and thriving, man, I, that was awesome. I mm-hmm. saw that clip, and I definitely. On that thing. Liked it. Just double tap like. Yeah. Like it. Uh, All right. So, again, lots of Super Bowl conversations to get to. We're bringing back two things that we do during the Seahawks season. Bold Take Friday at 1045. Your boldest takes for the Super Bowl. Do you have a bold take ready, Bob? Stay ready, so I ain't got to get ready. Exactly. Uh, that's coming up at 1045. You can start sending yours in now if you want. You have more time to think on it, but the text line's 866-979-3776. Robert Turman going to join us at 11. Laquan Treadwell joining us at noon. We've got a quiz, a trivia-style uh, game show face-off between Curtis and Bump coming up later in the show at 1.30. First, though, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame class was announced last night. It's headlined by Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, Demarcus Ware, and Zach Thomas. What's the real headline? Great news. You get to head into Super Bowl weekend feeling ancient. This is how I feel anytime any new... Hall of Fame class. I know there are some people that have felt like this for a while, but it's just now getting to the point where guys in the Hall of Fame class were like on your college or early 20s fantasy football roster. And you're thinking, wait, but I just drafted you. Right. right. (laughs) What do you mean you're eligible? (laughs) What happened? It it makes you feel old. And I had to I've watched all these guys play. Mm -hmm. Darrell Rivas in 2009. These are the receivers he held under 35 yards. Andre Johnson, Randy oh, Moss God. twice, oh, T.L. twice, God. Steve Smith, Reggie Wayne, Ocho Cinco, Roddy Wright, and Marquise Colston. Joe Thomas played 11 seasons, was a 10-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro. I hit up our dude, Big Ray. I go, Big Ray, tell me about Joe Thomas. He goes, 
a real dog with awesome technique and great feet. Unbelievably loyal to a struggling franchise. A dude that I enjoy watching and I make my son watch. DeMarcus Ware, nine-time Pro Bowler. A 20-sack season, a 19-sack season, number 13 in career sacks all time. And then Zach Thomas, seven-time Pro Bowler. Over 150 tackles, six times, 17 career interceptions. Defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. All these dudes are more than worthy to get in and saying these names and reading these stats. I'm like, I probably saw all of that happen. Mm -hmm. That's how old I am. Going back to only the 2000s, right? So you're eliminating a few important names, Albert Lewis among them. Where would you rank uh, Revis for like overall corners? Man, it'd be Darrell Revis, Champ Bailey, Richard Sherman. Yeah. Um, those would be my three that I roll with right now. Fair. One through three. Mix them up any way you want. Yeah, just making it clear. This is only the 2000s. Yeah, 2000s. Rod Woodson, all these guys not included here. Uh, all right, next headline. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, Brett Favre is suing Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee for defamatory allegations oh. made over his involvement in a $77 million welfare fraud scheme. What's the real headline? Oh, he's got to pay back the interest on those welfare funds somehow. <laughs> Why not take the money from someone else? Hey, Bob. hey, hey, Brett, I talked about you yesterday. I ain't got it, homie. I ain't got it. You can't sue me. I ain't got it. Uh, you know what I can do? I'll take you out to Dave and Buster's. I'll show you a great time. But no, it's crazy how... I was talking about him yesterday. Then all this stuff pops up. I got people hitting me on Twitter. Bump, you better be careful. Brett Favre's going to come for you. I'm like, man, you don't hear me. You ain't listening to little old me over here. And if he did, Brett, I ain't got it. Yeah, good luck. I mean, I'm not <laughs> donating to the cause. I think you need to find that money somewhere else, my guy. If, so I think that a lot of people do need to be talking about this. And I agree with you, Bump, that not enough people are. I think that that is in part uh, for obvious reasons. But then also because it's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing, honestly, with Russell Wilson's situation. Is all of this is kind of complicated because you're like, well, <clears throat> what went into it? What do people know? Like, what does Russell Wilson know? What does this person know? Here's what Brett Favre knows. Brett Favre, and this is recorded exchanges, text messages. Okay, so this is evidence. Brett Favre knew that the funds going towards this facility, this volleyball facility at his daughter's university, were federal funds because he had to make sure that it met federal guidelines, okay? So he knew that they were federal funds. He also talked about the facility as a wellness center uh, that would be benefiting underserved families, and he was also taking, uh, I think, another $1 million or $1.5 million to speak about welfare programs, though there wasn't a lot of evidence that he followed through with that. So pit two and two together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean... Is there definitive proof that Brett Favre texted, let's use these welfare funds for this facility? No. But he knew he was using government funds, and the way he was spinning it was to promote people who would be recipients of welfare. Just, that's what I'm saying. Um, Layman's terms. <clears throat> took money from the poor, put it in a yes. facility that his daughter was going to use, lied about his <clears throat> usage. Facts. Um, can I also say, we're going to get to this with the NFL headlines, but the the lawsuit, the way they, they talk about the state auditor, is so... Salty. Okay, so he sues, among others, Pat McAfee, Shannon Sharp, and then the state auditor, the person who, you know, was initially behind a lot of this lawsuit. Um, he said that uh, this auditor, you know, has these accusations against him and, quote, a brazen attempt to leverage media attention generated by Favre's celebrity to further his own political career by shamelessly and falsely attacking Favre's good name. White, this is the state auditor, has gained national media attention he previously could only have dreamed of. None of these media outlets would have paid White the slightest attention had he not been attacking Favre. 
How dare you hold Brett Favre accountable and people realize who you are because you're doing that? Man, they sound silly. But you know what? You got to go through the process. And uh, hopefully this thing turns out correctly. Him taking, trying to get money from Shannon Sharp and McAfee. um, That's ridiculous. I read somewhere that he just opened a whole can of worms. Like it'd be easier for him to fade away into the darkness than to open up this lawsuit and now allow Shannon Sharp and McAfee to dive into more details and try to make their case against him even worse. Well, and so that this is clear, he, Brett Favre, sent a letter to Shannon Sharp before all of this became public, before the lawsuit was filed, saying, I'm not going to file this lawsuit if you retract your statement and issue an apology and Shannon Sharp refused. So Shannon Sharp respect. was like, yeah, respect, but hey, I'm not I'm not taking this back. Headline rewrite. Headline number three, Oklahoma and Texas have reached a $100 million buyout with the Big 12 to leave for the SEC a year early in 2024. What's the real headline? Yeah, that's great news. Unfortunately, we're still trying to figure out where we can find money to pay athletes. We'll see if that turns up. But in the meantime, hundred million. Yeah, that's not. Well, that's for a different. That's for a different use. That's to you know change conferences. I'm talking about just money to pay athletes with. You know what I mean? Man, hundred million gets them out of there. Now this move might be motivated by the SEC getting that new TV TV deal with ESPN. They get out this deal this year. They join the SEC the first year of that deal, so they'll get that money back. But they do have to pay off. Fox for leaving early as well. And also, you got BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UFC all joining that conference, uh, the SEC. So, I think SEC or Big uh, Big 12. Sorry, Big yeah. 12. Uh, so, I don't think they want to play them either. Like, no, that just that doesn't look good on our resume. We don't want the BYUs, the Cincinnati, the Houston, the UFC. Money makes the world go round. So, they're paying that 100. They're going to get a deal with ESPN for joining the SEC. And they got to pay Fox for leaving. I hope they're in the green during this whole deal. We'll see. We'll initially find out. Who do you think they their appearance threatens the most? In the SEC? Uh, yeah. It ain't Bama. They're gonna be good. It's it's those it's those second tier teams like Florida. I, Florida. Yeah. So I think Texas and Oklahoma can come in and be competitive right now. Yeah. But they need a few years with Tennessee to compete with oh, that's Bama. A good one. I think Bulls. Oklahoma can be on the level of like Alabama and Georgia. They've made it to the CO. The college football playoff a few times. Oh no, man! Bama and Georgia are in a, a they league are, of their own, man. But I think Oklahoma can still be competitive. I think Texas A and M is another team that would be on that level yeah. that they're not that they're competing with, but they're they're swinging up at, at Georgia. This is Jalen Hurts. This is what people have all messed up. They think the SEC and they think top to bottom. This is a great conference. It's like no, nah, it's about four teams yes. who dominate everybody else. They're just as good as yeah, another Power Five. Well, that's the debate that we were having when we were talking about the rankings of Power Five conferences, that the Pac-12 had the most schools represented in the AP Top 25, just none of them were like one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you rather have, the number one program or number three program represented or like most of your conference in there some way, you know, eight through 25? Uh, all right. It's Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. There's an interesting lesson to be learned from both quarterbacks in this year's Super Bowl. That's true for any team, but most especially if you're the Seahawks. We'll tell you what we mean next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. Read a really interesting column last night from Albert Breer in Sports Illustrated, Bump, about the quarterbacks in this year's Super Bowl representing teams thinking outside the box. By that, 
He means both quarterbacks were considered unfinished products leaving college. Not only that, but both guys uh, were kind of questioned and discouraged in different ways. Patrick Mahomes, people thought, and he has like notes from quarterback coaches and scouts, anonymous. With Patrick Mahomes, people were like, he's going to need at least two years. Like mm-hmm. He is very unfinished. He's going to need a lot of work. Um, he's got the best wrists of anyone. He's got you know great footwork, but he needs a lot of help. And then with Jalen Hurts, there was not only questions about his accuracy, but he's also getting what a lot of mobile quarterbacks are going to get, including most especially black quarterbacks are going to get, which is, have you thought about playing wide receiver? Have you thought about playing running back? Jalen Hurts was getting plenty of those mm. notes as well in his evaluations. Jalen Hurts? Could you imagine him at receiver? He he, he would be amazing at any spot he played, but I'm glad he stayed at quarterback. Yeah. He received an MVP vote, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all the better for it from the season that he has and now seeing what should be a really good Super Bowl. Um So thank goodness he stayed there, and thank goodness so much of what people wrote about both him and Mahomes was wrong. But the reason I bring it up and the reason it matters for the Seahawks is this question. Should the Seahawks take a chance on a project quarterback? If they are able to sign Geno, then I think you can. I think you can. I think you can go after a guy who you feel just fits what you want in a quarterback. Not one of these top guys, right? The top guys are Bryce Young, CJ, Will Levis came out of freaking nowhere. I watched the film, understand why people are attracted to him. You got Hendon Hooker and then Tanner McKee out of Stanford. It's crazy that his name's been coming up because Stanford's been basura for a very long time, but he's a prototype quarterback, 6'6", and throw the ball Mm -hmm. or whatnot. Got that Brock Osweiler effect where they're like, well, he's so tall. Just look at him. He's so tall. John Allen. Way, just you, licking his you chops. You fall in love with him. You see him at practice, <laughs> and you're like, I want one of those. <sighs> um, so those are your your top guys. And then, sorry, and then let me throw Anthony Richardson. His stock oh, has yeah. been rising yep. as well, the kid out of Florida. If Gino was not able, or you're not able to sign Gino, Gino goes elsewhere with that number five pick. I know people, I want to go defense as well, but if they were to go quarterback, we cannot exclude um, scenarios. We can't say, oh, I don't want them to do that, so I'm just going to focus on this. We got to look at all the scenarios. If they were to go quarterback with number five, you got to stick with these top names, right? Guys that you feel like are proven and they can do it. But if you were to pick a guy later on in the draft somewhere, a court, uh, a a project type guy, like you said, man, I look at Hayner. I love me some Jake Hayner, man. I really? also, also look at the kid from T, T, um, TCU, Max Dugan. Am I saying it right or is it Duggan? Is it Dugan or Duggan? I think it's Duggan. Duggan. My guy Duggan. His story is incredible. Yes. He gets benched, what, the first week or so. Then he, the guy gets hurt. He bounces back. He leads his team to the championship game. He just didn't have enough dogs in the fight when it came to the, the, the football playoffs. But I look at those dudes and I say, those are the guys that I like, man. I like Hayner because he's mobile enough. He throws a pretty football, not the strongest football. He's a competitor. When I saw this dude, ribs cracked or it was a drawn or something against UCLA, leave them on like a 75-yard drive to win the ball game. After every throw, he's wincing. He's curling up. Man, my, my hip hurts or whatever it was. I looked at that dude and I say, he's got that it factor. He's the guy who gets into the huddle, looks these dudes in the eyes and say, follow me, I got you. Don't even have to be the most talented, but follow me, I got you. And then I look at the kid over there from TSU Dude was benched. You know how hard it is? You talk about Geno sitting for um, for seven years, right? It's kind of the same thing. This dude was benched. Then he comes back and he competes. You know who I don't want? Stetson Bennett. Why not? I don't know what it is about Stetson. What are you Stetson. talking about? But he can come know. in here and he has the wisdom know. of a 30-year-old. He does have the wisdom of a 30-year-old. because he's 32 <laughs> years old. I just, you know, you ever just meet some people or you just see some people and you just don't know. I just, I just, 
I that's how like it is it. with Stetson yeah. Bennett. You're it like, that's not my guy. I know he can play. He's clutch. He's a national but the champion. Vibes are off. The vibes are just off. We that's know he fair. can be a, a serviceable quarterback if you surround him with a elite talent. Elite talent. Yeah. yeah. Like hey, if your you, team is as deep as Georgia, Stetson Bennett is your guy. Hey, you give him six first rounders, Super Bowl. Done. Exactly. Super Bowl. Easy. Absolutely easy. Well, you know what I'll say? I love this conversation because while uh, I like the idea of having Gino here and it's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't, like I, I would much prefer to have something that I know can be good versus something I don't know in a year where you can be competitive. It's also really exciting to think, well, what if they tap into a really young talent? Like there is something about watching some of these AFC teams with young talent that makes you a little jealous. Right. There's something about seeing the Bengals where I'm like, I'm a little jealous. They got Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. I'm a little jealous that the Eagles, you know what they have right now. I'm a little jealous at potentially what Jacksonville could be or like, I don't know what the Chargers could be like having having a young potential answer at quarterback and wondering, like, am I seeing the beginning of something here is really cool. It is really cool. And if if you can recognize it, that's the thing, too, because. I looked at Joe Burrow his first year. That's when he blew out his ACL, right? They had this guy dropping back a bunch Mm -hmm, of times. mm -hmm. And I didn't forget about him, but he wasn't on my radar going into that next year. If you could find a young talent and tap into it early and recognize what you're seeing and say, man, if this develops from that. Like Jalen Hurts is a perfect example. I saw him play. I'm like, he's cool. You know, he he needs some help, but he's cool. But the people who are able to recognize it and tap into it now and see where he is today, it makes it that much more rewarding. And most of the time, that's your local fans. We got to tap into Russell Wilson early over here and watch him do his thing and listen to all the doubters and watch him grow. But that's, uh, that's coaching and that's scouting. Can you find a guy, especially late, these draft picks, can you find a guy late and does he have that twinkle in his eye? Does he do one thing that flashes on film that make you say, I want to invest in this guy? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the part of the struggle or part of the um, the journey with guys in the NFL is that you need a coach to see something and believe in you. Because a lot of times coaches will pigeonhole you real quickly. You make one mistake, you're done. That's the beauty of late round picks, man. These coaches really do their research and develop young men if we're picking a quarterback late, I'm looking at those two, man. Can I ask a question? When we're talking late round, are we talking day two or are we talking late day three? I'm talking like fifth round. So we're talking day three. Yeah. Would you take a quarterback in the second round? In the second? Or the first? Depends on who's available and, and what they've done so already. let's say that, let's say C.J. Stroud's available at five. Do you take, do you take a quarterback in the Ooh. first? If Stroud is available at five, me personally. I don't think he will be. But. I'm not taking him, but I completely understand if they do. And you could see a world in which they do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Not with Will Levis. Is no, it, man, mo- it most, be Levis, most with CJ Stroud. Yeah, Stroud. It, I mean, there's there's such a gap between one and two and everybody else. Now, yeah. I think Levis has the attributes. He's tall. He's strong. Throws a good football. Um, but you just see Bryce and CJ do it at such a high level against com- high competition or great competition that it's not a for sure thing, but you like your chances there. Uh, with Levis, I just haven't seen enough him against the best of the best. Now, he plays in the SEC, transferred. I believe he transferred from uh, – I forgot where he transferred from. Yeah. But I just haven't seen enough of him. And then, and then let me be real. I don't sit around and watch Kentucky football like that neither. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going off of what no, I see on film. I don't, I don't wake up on Saturday and be like, where's Kentucky? Wildcat <laughs> football, not basketball, football. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I I mean, when you think about it, Russell Wilson was kind of that guy where not a lot of people had eyes on him. Now, we've heard since he took off. Uh, less so now. People not willing to claim him now. But we heard plenty when he was doing well of other teams and GMs going, well, we were going to draft him next. Like, make no mistake. And honestly, in this article by Albert Breer, Breer he said, look, if it wasn't going to be the Chiefs that took Mahomes, the Saints were willing to, were ready to take him at, I think, 13. And if it wasn't going to be them, then Bruce Arians, then the head coach of the Cardinals, they were going to take him. Mm-hmm. So he was going within the next couple picks to either the Chiefs, Saints, or Cardinals, no matter what. And maybe he doesn't look the same in those other two teams. Maybe he does. But I do think one, one important key that Albert Breer touched on, but I, I want to talk about in the last like minute or so here, is while both quarterbacks were considered unfinished, one of them was clearly much closer than people gave him credit for with Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and both are playing on teams with a lot of talent. Yeah. So you can't just take an unfinished project and bring him onto a team where you were 29th in defense. You know who's un- who was unfinished? Justin Fields. That's it, right yeah. there. You put him on Chicago. He can't save the day by himself. He no, can make he him competitive. Can't. He can rush for a thousand yards. He can keep doing the games. When it's all it's said and done, you need to protect. You need to run the ball. You need some receivers. They made a move for Chase Claypool. I don't want to say he caught like ten footballs or something over there while he was with they Chicago. They gave him no. Re- I was almost a receiver for the Bears in Week One. <laughs> like they had absolutely no one. They built backwards. They went and got their quarterback first, and were like, "We'll get everything else later," which is fine. Maybe they fell in love with Justin Fields, but mm-hmm. the problem is people sometimes mistakenly blame the quarterback that there are people wondering if they should take Bryce Young at number one overall like why Fields is good give him a shot like go get a defensive guy you're going to run into the same problem Bryce Young is not going to have significantly more success than Justin Fields on that team Justin Fields is better than as a better NFL quarterback than Bryce Young right now He's a better NFL quarterback. All right, Bold Take Friday, coming your way next. Get your bold, super bold takes in now to the Mac and Jacks text line, 866-979-3776. That's next. It's time for Bold Take Friday. It is Bold Take Friday on Bump and Stacy. Get your boldest takes in for the Super Bowl uh, if it's bold enough, Curtis is going to give you an air horn. He's very picky. It sounds like this. He's very, very picky with who gets an air horn, so you really got to make sure you're bold. Text in your bold predictions, your bold takes now. It has to be about the Super Bowl, 866-979-3776. Here's our first bold Super Bowl take. Devonta Smith goes off for 124 yards, two touchdowns, and... As a wide receiver, when Super Bowl mm. MVP. Thank you, Curtis. I thought that was. I thought that was. And two years in a row now, right? With a wait, who's Cooper Cup was Super Bowl MVP? Yes, he was. Wow, two years in a row as a wide receiver for Super like Bowl that. MVP. Um, Bump KC has the fourth uh, worst opponent completions per game, or allowing the fourth most opponent completions per game this year. They also allowed the most opponent passing touchdowns this season with thirty three. Hey, that secondary will get tested. You got Devontae Smith. You got A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is one of the best deep ball wide receivers in the game, and you can't sleep on Devontae Smith. How are they going to loosen this defense up? RPO. Watch the RPO game. Watch Goddard um, attached to the line of scrimmage or in the slot. They're going to RPO the, the heck out of him. Give it to Miles Sanders. Boom, up top. I like that bold take. All right, what's your bold take? My bold take Philadelphia will be inside the 10-yard line. They will need a touchdown to go up. They'll go back in time and run the Philly special. Philly special. 
Run it back. I love the idea and the boldness of tapping back into the Philly special and consecutive Super Bowls, especially if it's successful both times. Oh, I like that one a lot. I really like it. Um, I'm going to tie yours together with a prediction for the Eagles from the text line. Again, send your bold takes in, 866-979-3776. From the 206, bold prediction, bold take. The Eagles win with a blowout 30-10. to 10. Dang. <laughs> The Eagles are the more complete team. They've been a juggernaut all season long since, what, at least midway through the season. People were expecting them to be the first overall seed. They ended up being the first overall seed. I just can't see the Chiefs putting up only 10 points. Man, the Chiefs' lowest scoring game this year was 17, and that was to the Indianapolis Colts early in the season. You're right. I don't see them putting up only 10 points. But if that were to happen, you know what that means? Mm. Mr. Mahomes is hobbling. That yep. D line is going, lo- getting loose. Um, their safety, I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Johnson Gardner. Oh, CJ Gardner Johnson. Gardner Johnson. Thank you. He's getting loose back there. If that were to happen, it would be a boring Super Bowl. I want I want a tight game, but I Me wouldn't too. be mad though because I want Philly to get this. I mean, you think of the advantage. I think Philly has the advantage in the trenches. With even though the Chiefs' offensive line is fine, they invested a lot of money. Um, they still have guys that struggle. Like Orlando Jones Jr. has struggled a little bit with pass pro. Good with run, but that's not really where the Chiefs specialize. Um, who's he going to be going against? Uh, I don't even know who lines up on the left side most often, but or the right side most often. Um, the Eagles' defensive line is just – i the depth there is the best I've seen in years from any team, and it's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. This person predicting the Eagles are going to be more like the 2013 Seahawks where it's seen as this great defense versus an elite offense, and it ends up being the team with the great defense that destroys the other. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think the Chiefs' defense is pretty good. I couldn't tell you how good Denver's defense was. <laughs> no, I couldn't tell I couldn't you either. Tell you. I couldn't tell you either. But the thing about the Chiefs is that if you disrupt Jalen Hurts, right? I talked about that RPO game. What disrupts an RPO is when those interior linemen are yeah. getting penetration in the backfield and that mesh is all jacked up and he has to make a decision quicker than he really wants to. That's how you do it. My bold take from the 253, Hassan Reddick will have not one, not two, not three, but four quarterback sacks and three quarterback hits. Okay, Curtis Curtis, uh, Curtis a, loves that one. There'll be a stupid amount of production from one guy in a Super Bowl. I don't think anybody's had more than like two or three sacks in a Super Bowl. Four sacks from Hassan Reddick? I'd, I'd be here for a historic performance like that. Now, That'd be incredible. Brandon Graham at Radio Row says that he's eyeing a strip sack of Mahomes. He'd really like to do that. Hassan Reddick was an absolute nightmare for the 49ers in the last game. I know the quarterback talent is going to be significantly improved in this game, but he took over. Hassan Reddick changed the course of that game. Mm-hmm. He's responsible for uh, that Purdy situation with the with his elbow. And then also, he almost had one of the greatest strip sacks of all time against uh, Johnson over there. On the season, he has 16 sacks, five forced fumbles. How come he was not mentioned for Defensive Player of the Year? Not even a whisper of Hassan Reddick. Mm. He might have been the best free agent signing of the offseason. Yeah. yeah. I think they got him for pennies i don't know did howie roseman end up getting executive of the year if so part of that will be because of hassan reddick obviously uh the aj brown trade but hassan uh, reddick's gonna be a huge part of looking it. at reddick's career numbers the he's only gone over two sacks in a game one time in his career but in that game he had five sacks 
uh, against the New York Giants back in 2020. So uh, if he does get hot, he could have a historic day. Curtis, how many Super Bowls have gone into overtime, do you think? Just the one, Falcons and Patriots. Well, guess what? The 360 bold take, Eagles win 27 to 24 in overtime. <laughs> Only the second Super Bowl to go to overtime? No way. I like that. I'm, here, here's the thing. When I watch the Super Bowl, if I don't have a rooting interest, if none of these teams are teams that I grew up watching or whatnot, mm-hmm. I want it to be like a movie when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I'd be sad when the movie's about to end. I'm like, man, <laughs> give me some more. I want more of this. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that with the Super Bowl. The more football that is played, the better. Make it dramatic. Uh, all right. Uh, bold prediction. Uh, oh, gosh. I knew that. I should have known this would come from some kooks. Bold take. Jalen Hurts is uh, knocked out of the game, and Minshew comes in. Uh, and uh, ends up winning Super Bowl MVP. It's, it's bold because it's not going to happen. What happens? No, if Curtis Gardner Minshew finds himself in the game, but Jalen Watson picks him off. Bump Coog on Coog crime. Coog on wow, Coog that's crime. A good question. Why would you do that to me right now? <laughs> what Curtis do you do, Rogers? Bump? What do you do? What do I do? Um, yay! No, go Cougs. That's how you handle that. <laughs> Bump's just going to say. Great completion. Great catch. <laughs> that's, that's all you can say. Uh, all right. Don't forget, you can listen to us anytime and check back on the rest of the show. If you miss it, by subscribing to The Bump and Stacy podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, wherever. Please rate and review if you do subscribe. Robert Turbin joins us next. More previewing the Super Bowl. We got a couple Seahawks questions in tow, too. That's next.